Okay, so we are, today's daf is Yod Aleph and Yoma. We are on Yod Aleph, Amud Aleph. We went into the middle of the first Amud. We are nine lines from the first set of wide lines uh, where it says, Taneit Rav Kahana, Kameid Rav Yehuda. Rav Kahana says in front of Rav Yehuda, Beta Teven, Ubeta Bakar. These are different areas that are not made for human habitation. That's what they have in common. So you have a beta teven means that that's where you store the straw. Beta bakar, obviously the cows or whatever. Beta etzim, where you store the firewood. Beta otzerot. Otzerot are, could be, you know, wine or oil or whatever you put into a storage. So piturim and a mezuzah, you don't need a mezuzah storage, basically, is the point. But then it says a strange thing. It says, because the women, like, dress up in them. So what do you, I, I don't know, you know, what, what does that mean, because the women dress up in them? Meaning that they wash in there. So I guess when they, they would go and they would, uh, into these area storage areas, they would use them to have, like, a bath. They would take, you know, maybe like a uh, basin of water or something and they would have a bath in there so that they wouldn't get, let's say, maybe the house wet or I don't know what the reason. But the point is that what's the, according to this, the way that this bright is written, really you would have a mezuzah in all of those places. But since the women go and they are bathing in there, so it makes it like a bathroom. So they would, so they wouldn't have a mezuzah because of that. But normally you would. That's the implication. said, so you're telling me that really those places, the storehouses and everything would have a mezuzah. But the only thing is, but since the ladies use it as sort of a bathroom or a washroom, so therefore you don't have a mezuzah. But we learned that uh, very clearly that the stable of the cattle does not require a mezuzah. And it doesn't say anything about women having to bathe in there. It just says that there is no requirement at all of any mezuzah. So therefore what? So Ella Maina Otot Mitkashtot. What it means is that they would put on their makeup or their finery in these areas. Vachikatanin. And actually it means the opposite of what you're saying. Af mitkashtot ben It means even though the women use it as a makeup room, as like a dressing room, they don't they're not unclothed, but they might put on their makeup or their uh, jewelry. You might think that's enough to make it a human habitation. It isn't. In other words, it's the exact opposite of what Rav Kana was saying, because Rav Kana was saying that really those areas should require some kind of mezuzah, but since women are unclothed because they are using it for bath, so they don't put a mezuzah. Rav Yudah is saying the opposite. He's saying really it should have a mezuzah, but uh, and uh, meaning that no, really, it should not have a mezuzah, rather. But and you and you might think that since the ladies use it to do their makeup or whatever it is or their uh, jewelry, that you would uh, you would consider it human area. And the answer is no. In other words, he's saying that the it's the exact opposite of what Rav Kana. Rav Kana is saying stamma the stam. The assumption is that you would have a mezuzah. And Rav Yudah saying, no, it's the opposite. You're saying that even though the women are mitkashtot behen, that even though the ladies are using it for their um, finery, that they are exempt. It says that a, a, a stable for cows is exempt from a mezuzah. But the ones that the women get dressed up in, there or put their makeup on or put their jewelry on that is is chayevet bimzuza. So you see, I'm right that really a place where if women used it, um, if women were to use it as a uh, as an area where they would just dress up or they would just use it for their uh, putting on their makeup or whatever, then it would require a mezuzah. The only reason why it doesn't require a mezuzah is where they wash in there. That's so, so, I, so Rav Kana saying, you see that, that that's the case. That's why you have two different views. 
right? So in other words, according to you, you must agree that a place that women... Uh, that that Brita is saying that you wouldn't normally have a mezuzah on a uh, on a stable, but if the ladies use it to dress up, that you would need a mezuzah. Now that's contrary to what Rabbi Yudas just said, because Rabbi Yudas just said that the Brita says that even though women use it to put on their makeup and their jewelry, you don't put a mezuzah. So he says, so you must agree that there's a machloket tanaim because one Brita is saying that women getting dressed up in there doesn't make it obligated in a mezuzah. And the other one is saying that women getting dr- getting dressed up in there does make it obligated in a mezuzah. So which one is it? In other words, that Brita says. That that if they that if they don't get dressed up in there, the implication is that you wouldn't have a, you know need a mezuzah only because they do. So the question is, so he says, so for me too, I'll say the didinami I'll say that it's also whether a revit bakar, whether any of these places that are not mainly made for human beings to uh, to dwell, whether they require mezuzah. I'm going to say that that is a machloket as well. In other words, he's saying that we can agree to disagree. We can agree that we are reflecting two different opinions. And now it's going to say Titani says nebraita. Right when it says betecha about the mezuzah, so it says betecha hamyuchad lecha. It has to be a house that is designated for you. This comes to exclude where you store your straw, your animals, your firewood, and so on. That they are exempt from the mezuzah. And there's some who say that you are chayav. So there you see right there. I mean, it's a machloket. Even the bright that self acknowledges it's a machloket whether the store has required mezuzah. But they said truthfully that beta beta always means everybody agrees. In other words, a bathrobe or borsakis where they tan hides, which is very disgusting, and it's basically the decaying of the skins of the animal, very disgusting, right? The shower room, where the women are washing up, everyone agrees that that's exempt from the mezuzah. So you see, yeah, because it smells, it's, it's, it's disgusting, yeah. It's the most disgusting place you can go, pretty much. Now, Rav Kana will explain this Braita in accordance with his assumptions, and Rav Yudah will do the same. So how will Rav Kana read this Braita as follows? That he'll say that, what does it mean, your house? It means a house that's for your use. In other words, he'll tell you that stam, the assumption is, if it's a, if it's a storehouse, if it's any kind, of a, uh, any kind of a place which is not used for human habitation primarily, it's going to be exempt from mezuzah. But there are some who will say that even if it's just a storehouse or it's just a place for animals or it's just the place for firewood, you would have a mezuzah. Everyone agrees. In other words, he's going to say that the, that the end part that said the places that everyone agrees doesn't have a mezuzah, such as the bathroom or the tannery or the shower room or the place of the t- uh, where people immerse or where the women like make themselves beautiful, right? And what is that referring to? Washing up. Everyone, so in other words, according to him, we go like the second opinion in the bright. He's going like the second opinion in the bright, though, which is that the stam, the assumption would be that these places would have a mezuzah, except for cases in which the women use it and they're not dressed. In those cases, you would not have a mezuzah. Now, if that's true, but then isn't that re- re- repetitive? Because it already said a merchatz on the 
list. It said a place where people wash. So it's the same as the women washing. So what's the difference? There's a difference between a mirchatz, which is a public bathhouse, and a personal bathhouse. Because you might say that true that a public bathhouse has all the sweat and the steam and all of that. It's really not a very uh, pleasant place to be. So you'll say that that is considered to be uh, a disgusting place. But maybe a, a woman who cl- washes up and goes into the storehouse and uh, takes a bath in the thing, maybe it doesn't make such a, uh, doesn't have such an effect on the place. So we're saying that even though it's only an individual, still it's going to be considered a place that is for washing and, uh, and, and would not have a mizuzah. So according to Rav Kana, basically, the assumption is that any of these places are par, that are par of places, meaning there's nothing going on in there that's human habitation, it's just a storehouse, would require a mizuzah. But if you do something that is not uh, like you're getting undressed or it's a bathroom or it's disgusting so then you would not have a mizuzah. That's Rav Kana. But how was Rav Yehuda going to read the Brighton? Rav Yehuda he reads the Brighton differently. Betecha in the Pasuk means Betecha Miuchadecha. It means a house that is for you, for your use. This is just a repetition of what the Brayta said before, right? This comes to exclude storehouses of various kinds. Now he adds in, in parentheses, in other words, Rabbi Yehudas, sliding in to the text his own opinion, which is even though the ladies use it for doing their makeup in there, that doesn't make it a human habitation, meaning he would say, that for sure, stam normal storehouses do not require any kind of a uh, any kind of mizuzah, even though the ladies might use them as a uh, dressing room, not to wash, but meaning to get their get made up. And there are some who will say that if the ladies use it for any kind of an adorning of themselves, then it would require a mizuzah. But everyone agrees that if it's stam, if it's just a storehouse and there's nothing going on in there that's human activity, you just have uh, cows in there or you just have firewood in there or you just have whatever, it would not require a mizuzat. Now, and of course, everybody's going to agree that So he, in other words, he interprets as mitkashtot. He says, places which are inherently disgusting such as the bursaki, the place where they do the tanning of the hides, or a bathroom, or, or a, a bathhouse, or anything like that, even though the ladies use it from time to time for an activity which is not the lower level activity, which is not the activity where you're undressed, still, it would be exempt from mizuzah mishum dinafish zohameh. Right? So, because the ladies... Um, uh, you know, because even though the ladies use it for that, it has a lot of, um, uh, you know, zoame means it's a disgusting place, even though they're willing to use it from time to time for their own adornment. So the point is that Rav Yehuda and Rav Kahana will both take this brighta. According to Rav Kahana, the assumption, the standard baseline is that a place which has a, um, which is uh, for storage and doesn't have any human activity going on is a machloket. That's a machloket, he says. And he's taking the stringent opinion that if it's used for any kind of ladies' uh, activity, that it would require a mezuzah. But any place which is a place where people are unclothed would not require a mezuzah. That's Rav Kana's view. Rav Yehuda says, no, there's nobody who says that just a storehouse stam would require a mezuzah. There's no such thing. There's an opinion that says that if ladies use it 
for the occasional makeup and dressing room, uh, then it would be okay for a, uh, for, uh, you know, they would be okay to consider it a dirat, it's like a type of human habitation. But if it's a disgusting place, for sure everybody agrees that it wouldn't be a place for a mezuzah. So that's the machlok between them. When you have a storehouse that has no use as a makeup room at all, whether that is going to require a mezuzah or not. Now, Rabbi, the, it says over <coughs> here in the uh, name of Rashi that Neotot Milishun Nehenot, that's the first Could part be. of it. Nehenot is, is, is to, uh, as if taking a shower, and that's supposed to be like an I one. I guess so, maybe. Like a jacuzzi? Uh, I don't know if they had that, but... Um, Nehenot, I'm not sure what right. Nehenot is. Yeah, actually, right. Naot sounds like it means. The yeah, he says Hanaa, but. Uh, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's true. I don't know if that's the, uh, that's what Rashi says, but it's, I would have assumed that uh, na'ot means to make yourself beautiful. It's like it's from the word na'ah, but could the be. The second time it could said be. that it was na'ah, but the first time yeah. it said that Yeah, it interesting. Nothing. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, so, so the thing is, according to Rav Yehuda, a stam, meaning with no, when it's not used at all for makeup or, or, or jewelry, so everyone is going to assume that you don't need a mezuzah. Let's say just a place you keep the firewood. It doesn't require a mezuzah. That's according to Rabbi But, V'atani will end the bisharecha, echad sharei batim, v'echad sharei chatserot, v'echad sharei medinot, v'echad sharei ayerot, v'erefet, v'lulinu maden, v'altot yayin, v'altot shemen chayavin, b'mezuzah. It says in the Brayta that, that not only the gates to your houses, but also to your courtyard, and also to the city, and also to, right, also to the, uh, you know, to the Medina and the Ayerot, Ayerot are bigger than a Medina, but the point is that the different, you know, communal gates, Verefet, Verefet is a, is a stable for animals, right? Vilulin, uh, Lul is a, uh, what do you call it? Chicken coop. Yeah. All of these, all these places that are for uh, storage, Chayavin b'mezuzah. So, you, so that's against it, Rav Yudah Yud, saying, no, that those places do not require a mezuzah according to anybody, according, that's what Rav Yudah was saying. Now, maybe I'll come to include also Bechar. Bechar is like this little, um, like little room almost that people would c- cut through it, you know, it wasn't really used for any activity, but they would like, it was like a little alcove that people would cut through to get from one place to another. Achsadra is actually like, uh, uh, if you think of a, it's like in front of the house or in front of the houses, they would have just an open area that had pillars, like especially you see those Roman, uh, uh, those Roman, you know, pillar things that are just outdoors. Or you have um, you have mirpesed. Mirpesed for them wasn't a uh, wasn't a balcony of an apartment, but it means like like in a motel. Um, like you know when you go to a motel and they have that in like the second floor of the motel, they have like the outdoor. Um, area that you walk along to get to different apartments. Yeah, like an outdoor hallway type thing. Exactly. So that would not require a mezuzah. says, you might think, nobody lives in those areas. They're not used for dwelling. They're used for passage. So you wouldn't require a mezuzah. Maybe you'll think I should also include a bathroom or a tannery or a, or a bathhouse or a mikveh. It has to be something that is made Just, you know, it's something that's made for honor and then and these are not made for higher functions of the human being. So therefore, they are not considered necessary. Uh, a mezuzah is not necessary. Don't they call a bathroom and bait kavod? They probably do that. It's called lashon saginor. Uh-huh. I mean, do, would you would you say to would you put your no, VIP to sit in the bathroom? The yeah, a lot of times that is true. I'll give you that. <laughs> that is true. I think people are sensitive. They don't like a dirty bathroom. They like a bathroom that looks clean. That looks nice because uh, because and maybe that goes to the whole psychology of you know a lot of a lot of culture is to deny that we're animals. A lot of cultures deny that we're animals. 
If look how much effort, uh, you know, people put into fancy tablecloth, fancy proper table manners. You have to. You can't put your elbows on the table. You have to eat with the the mazleg. The fork is on one side. The knife is here, and you have to do this. You know, it's like any animal activity. We want to pretend that we're not really uh, physical, Denial. and we have to be so high. You know, it's like look, and and the people who are the worst, the French and the German, they're the best at that. The people who, ha- who are the mo- act the most animalistic, they're the most makpid, and it has to be, everything has to be a bit. Yeah. So, sorry. They're good Germans, but... The Jewish one. I'm thinking about Jewish one. Yeah. Uh, but but we're, we're, I'm talking about the other one. You know, but the, but the people who are, you know... The, the, and it's the bathroom also. People don't like to feel when you... When you go into the bathroom, it's disgusting. It's like, oh, I'm doing like what an animal does. It's a, you know, doing, getting waste out of my body. So that, no, it's beautiful. And it's the most expensive. You're right. The most beautiful part of the house has to be the bathroom. Fancy. It goes to that. But anyway, that's another issue. Another problem that we have. Um, so, maybe I should include also for Mizuzah, Har Habayit, and the chambers of the Beit HaMikdash, and the courtyards. It's talking about a bayit for a person that is mundane. Okay, that, and the Gemara concludes, that is a clear refutation of what, what, what was said before, that because in this Brayta, very clearly saying that... Uh, that all of these different areas would require a mezuzah, actually. And, uh, and so it turns out, but it, clearly there is a machloket between, you know, it, it seems very clear that there's a machloket of some sort um, here, but, it, but that supports Rav Kahana. The Rav Kahana is saying that the, the, the baseline is that these storage areas should require a mezuzah unless there's something about them that lowers them, that disqualifies them from a mezuzah, and not like what... Rav Yehuda was claiming because this Brayta pretty clearly says it. That's unanimous that that's the case. Now Tanei Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda came to Rava. Shishal Sharei Pitugen Min Amizuzah. That Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda said in front of Rava, there are six gates that are exempt from Mizuzah. Beit Teven. The first one is the storage house for the straw. So obviously this is disagreeing with what we just said. Obet Bakar. Also the uh, the the stable. Obet Aitzim. The place where you keep the wood. Obet Otsarot. And also the storehouse for the wine. The Shara Madi. And also the Midi. Um, in a uh, 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 gate, which is what it means, is like a an arch. Okay, the one from Madai. They had like instead of having a square shaped uh, a door, they had an arch on top, and uh, and also a gate that doesn't have a top. In other words, if it's just a gate, if it's just a doorway, but it opens to an open uh, area, there's no roof in the past the doorway. It's just a doorway that goes into an open area. That would not require mezuzah either. It has to be something, something on top. Also, and also a gate that doesn't have um, ten, uh, uh, that doesn't have uh, ten tefachim of height. So all of these things. So in other words, if there's if there's no cover at all on the top, it just goes straight up. That's also that's one of the exemptions. And if it is, uh, and if it is. Uh, uh, not tall enough. It's not ten tefachim tall. So now he said to Amale, he said to him, "Patachta b'shavas alachta b'shiva." You said you're only going to give me six, but you gave me seven. There's seven things on the list, you know. So the uh, so he so he he said Amale. He said to him, "Shara Madai." The one of the 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 one of about Madai is Tanai. It's Machloket Tanaim. The Tanya Kipa Kipa is the same thing. Kipa means a. Uh, arch, right? An arch. So Rabbi Meir Mechayev b'mzuza chachamim potrin. Rabbi Meir obligates and Chachamim exempt. So 
So v'shavin shem yesh beragla asara shechayevet b'mzah. If it has ten, so in other words, the, the point is that it has to rise to the point of te, uh, of ten tefachim. Now, if the two sides go ten tefachim high, with four tefachim in between the whole way up, and then it curves into an arch, we don't care that it ends in an arch on the top. That's not important. What's important, what the problem would be, if it starts to curve very early on, so that there's actually no, there isn't three tefachim from the ground up. Straight going up. Right, straight going up where there's four tefachim of space in between. Right, because then it's like, uh, that's gonna, it has to, so that, that's the problem. So, um, so if there's ten tefachim of height where there is a separation between the two sides of four tefachim between them, so then it's good. Even if it curves afterwards, we don't care. The question is, if the curve starts too early, that's going to be the problem. Maybe it starts, but it's huge. So in the middle, it's it's, it's a if it's huge, huge then it's fine. What's the problem? We're saying if it's too narrow, if it's too narrow because it started like this, but it starts curving right away, it bends in right away, like almost triangular. Like then, then it wouldn't be good. He'll explain. Now it says, so he's going to say, Amar Abayi says, Everyone agrees if it goes to 10 Tfachim at the highest point. In other words, if the top of the arch is 10 Tfachim high, but but it doesn't have 4 Tfachim of space of width in the doorway for the first 3 Tfachim of height. Meaning from the very start, it's too narrow. So then, it's nothing. Or if it goes up 3 Tfachim, from the ground and it's spaced out properly, but it doesn't reach ten tvachim. The height of the arch doesn't reach ten tvachim. It's also no good. The question is like this If you have an arch that the first three tvachim, at the highest point of the arch, it's ten tvachim from the ground, so no uh-huh. problem. From the beginning, the two sides are separated four tvachim apart, so that's good, but it doesn't last. After three tvachim, the first three tvachim, it's like that, but then it starts to curve in. And already, if you're looking at tefach number four of height, it's already bent inwards, and there's less than four tvachim between like them. Like a tent, for example. Right. Would not Maybe, yeah. It could be like a triangular shape almost, because it would have to be a very sharp angle. Right? So that very sharp angle. The question is, but there, but you could cut into it and make it wider. In other words, let's say you wanted to make the doorway wider. There's there's material. So let's say you come and you want to cut the... The doorway starts to close in too soon. So you say, you know what? We're going to cut so the doorway is a little bit wider so we can have a mezuzah. We want to, we want to cut into it. So Rebbe, yeah. Tentavachim is like this much. Tentavachim is three feet tall. Yeah, it's very short. Well, no, you're right. It would be, it, it, it's, it, the, 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 the issue is that, right. So the issue is that, um, you know, obviously, obviously, the, yeah, the main point here is not the height so much. The main point here is not the height so much. The main point here is the width. So, uh, they're using as an example, the minimum is it has to be 10 tfachim high. It has to be three feet high. That the, the, is the, you know, um, is the minimum for, uh, for the height. Obviously, that's not a normal it's height a of a doorway, house, right? Example, but it doesn't even matter. The point here is that really this, the width, the width, when right? When does it start to curve? If it goes straight up and then it curves afterwards, we don't care. But if it, from the beginning, it's very narrow. You have to squeeze in. So then the question is, if the first three tfachim were, spaced out and then it started to bend in so then 
the uh, and it's very narrow, so you have to duck to get into it or whatever. But it's very narrow, so Rebbe Meir would say, since you could cut, it's called Chokikin Lashlim. Since you could come in and just cut and make a full doorway, so we're going to call it a full doorway since it started out on the right foot. We're going to call it a full doorway. According to Chachamim, no, this is a, a machloka they have all the time. Rebbe Meir savar Chokikin Lashlim. According to Rebbe Meir, we cut. We imagine Chokikin Lashlim, not literally, but meaning since we could cut a full doorway out of there, so we'll cut a full doorway out of there in our imagination, and we'll call it a full doorway. But according to the Chachamim, no, it's only what you're given, what you have. So since after... Like the Chachamim, we say that it has to be, uh, we don't say Chokakin Lashlim. So, it ha- so if it's a, uh, if it goes, the first 10 Tfachim would have to be with the proper space between them, of the four Tfachim in between the two sides. And then if it starts covering, we're okay. We don't say after the first three, we'll just imagine that the rest has a line going straight up like the way Rabbi Meir would say. Now, the synagogue and the house of a woman and the house of partners, that has to have a mezuzah. Now, that should be obvious. You might have thought, right? Means masculine, not beta, not a woman's house. Or maybe it means only an individual, betecha. But not their house. Kamashmalan. That's why it comes to tell you that even partners are obligated in a mezuzah. Even a woman is obligated in a mezuzah. How do you know that that's not the correct rasha? Amar kwa, the pasuk says, Because right after mezuzah, So you have a long life. You're saying that the lady doesn't need to live and the partners don't need to live? Of course they do. So if it's going to help you have a good life, so you have to have it. So why does it say betecha? They make a drasha from the word betecha, biatcha, you're coming in. Meaning, when a person walks, he lifts up his right foot first. They always say, put your right foot forward. You know, even in English, right? Yeah. So what does that mean? So therefore, the mezuzah is supposed to be on the right side of the person going in. That's where we get that idea from biatcha. Now, but the that's argument it. is that goyim also want to live. So what? But they don't have mitzvot. That's a different story. We're talking about of the people obligated in mitzvot. If I tell you don't do, you're everyone obligated in mitzvot, uh, that only people, only men should have this mitzvot. So, okay, why should only men have this mitzvot? It's for, it, the purpose is to give you a good life. But that all the Torah is to give you a good life. So, you know, then you have to give all 613 mitzvot to everyone. And they won't like that. Tanya Yidach, another bright that says, So this is another case where house is significant, which is, we just learned in last week's parasha, about the house that has tarat. So what happens to the house that has tarat? It has to belong to a person who's, who's you know, responsible for it. But it's saying even the house of partners... And even a woman's house, even a synagogue could have tarat. Mitamin binagay. Pshita, it should be obvious. Maudetema, what would you think? Uba shelo habayit. Lo vilola. That's kind of like it reminds me of the Haggadah, you know? Yeah, it's like. Uh, says right it has to be right it has to be you might say the word low means it has to belong to a man or an individual low not not a not a partnership to have tarat so that's why it comes to tell you that even a partnership house or a woman's house could have tarat how do you know that that's not the case right it says in the house of your inheritance in the plural meaning everybody so it doesn't have to be an individual male Owned house. So if that's case, okay, so why does it say the word lo altogether? Because what is this punishment happens to a selfish, stingy guy? 
You know? So, so it says, yeah. So the person, yeah, the person's very stingy. And everyone says, could I borrow this? I don't have it. Could I have this? No, I don't have it. So now when, he has, when his house has tarat, he has to take everything out of the house. Because that's what before the Kohen comes. So now he's going to see, oh, you said you didn't have that. I, I see that you have all those things I was asking you for. You have everything. So I'm going to be out on the street. We say you had it. Right? So it's going to it's gonna show that the guy was, you know, uh, how stingy the guy was. Which comes to exclude a person who's generous. In other words, basically it's saying a person is not going to have tzarat on their house if they're a generous person, if they're a giving person, they're not going to have tzarat. The same personality that's saying Lashon Hara is also a selfish person, stingy person, it all comes with a bad character. Now, is it really true that a synagogue can have tzarat? We have a and we have a brighter that says, you might have thought that synagogues in Batei Midrash could have tzarat. How could you say that a Bet Knesset is going to have a, uh, 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 is going to have a, uh, uh, a, uh, a, a tzarat? It, it doesn't belong to one person, right? It, it belongs to, it belongs to community. So how could it be? So it says, Lakasha, Harabi Meir, Harabanan. It's a machloket actually between Rabbi Meir and the rabbis and the Rabbanan. So the previous writer that said the Bet Knesset would have it, right? Um, that wouldn't have it, uh, um, I mean, this this bright rather says that they that it wouldn't have it, and the previous one said that it would. So one is Rabbi Meir, one is Rabbi. Tanya, Rabbi Beit Knesset sheish ba Beit Dira la Chazana Knesset chayav b'mzuzah. Shein ba Beit Dira, Rabbi Meir mechayev chamim potrin. So it's a similar machloket. In other words, according to Rabbi Meir, even though there is no apartment in the synagogue, since it is a building that is owned and used by the community by the group, therefore it requires a mezuzah. And he'll also say it's called a house. It's called Beit Knesset. It's considered like a house of the community. It's a communal house. So therefore, even if there's nobody individual living in there. It could would still be subject to the laws of Mizuzan, it would still be subject to the laws of Tzarat, but the rabbis say, no, Potrim, unless there's a person who has an apartment in there, they would not require a Mizuzan, because it's not considered a house that belongs to individuals, it's considered a communal institution, it's it does belong to individuals. Yes, yeah, so it could be that the both opinions reflect the uh, rabbis. Even they agree that if there's an apartment in the in the synagogue for the shamash or whoever, that it would have a mizuzah. So also it could have tzarat then, because it's all, it, there is a an individual dwelling on that property. Alternatively, both of them could be talking about where there is no. Uh, apartment at all. So how could that be then? How could you have an Tzarat uh, uh, then? Because there's a difference between village synagogues and big city synagogue. Because a big city synagogue, people from all over the world, like you go to these cities, let's say you go on business trips, there's, there, there might be these synagogues that, you know, travelers from all over the world, they come there all the time. You know, the major synagogues are trafficked by people from outside all the time. So therefore, you can't identify an owner because it belongs to the Jewish people. It belongs to everybody who comes. Whereas a village synagogue, small synagogue, you know exactly who the people who are that, that it belongs to. It belongs to the 20 people that go there or whatever in the small synagogue. So it says, one that's in the Kfarim, that would be just like a partner, a house of partners. So you would be able to say that it's this, uh, subject to the same rules. Would require a mezuzah, would be subject to tzarat, even according to the rabbis. But a, but a big city synagogue which belongs to the world it doesn't belong to any uh, individuals even a group of individuals so therefore it would not be subject to Tzorat and it would not be subject to Mizuzah according to that is it really true that big city synagogues are exempt from there's a bright that says you cannot have Tzorat and it's actually the Halakha it says that you can't have Tzorat in Yerushalayim 
Okay, we're going to see why. You can't have you, you can't have Tzavat in Yerushalayim in any house in Yerushalayim. We'll see why in a minute. I'm Rabbi Yudah. Rabbi says, Anilo shamati ala makom mikdash bilvat. Rabbi Yudah said, I only heard that about the Beit Mikdash that you can't have Tzavat. I never heard that about the whole Jerusalem. Ha, batekness yodobadim v'dashol mitamin b'negayim. V'hafal gavdi kachim nino. So that implies that even though, he's only saying about the Beit Mikdash, but he's saying that every other place in Yerushalayim, the, the synagogues and the, and, and, and the Batei Midrash, even though there's no synagogues in the world that are probably frequented by more visitors from the outside than Yerushalayim, both then and today, the more, more outsiders go into the synagogues, right? So for sure, they don't belong to those individual people that are in, locals, right? So, and yet you see, he's saying you could have, you could have tzarat on those, on those houses. He's implying, so no, ema, amar mekudash bilvad. He meant that, no, none of the holy places in Jerusalem, meaning not the synagogues, not the Bate Midrash, not the Bet Midrash, anything that is owned by the world, by the nation, is not subject to negaim. And that's also why they're going to say, uh, Yerushalayim is, is what the issue is with Yerushalayim. But, but the point is that it belongs to everyone, and therefore um, it can't be, it can't have the game. So now it says, they, 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 right, It wouldn't have the halachot, it wouldn't have the tum'ah. They would say, no, call, the, uh, call the contractor to fix it. Sign, yeah. no call the, yeah, call the mold removal service right. or something. Yeah. Okay. It's a question of whether Jerusalem was divided among the Shvatim or not. Okay? One opinion is that it wasn't. It belongs to everybody. And Rabbi Yehuda says that no, Jerusalem was divided among the Shvatim. It was just the Harabayit that wasn't divided among the Shvatim, actually. Because, uh, but, and it's a machloket that is reflected in the following right. That the Harabayit and the chambers of the Beit HaMikdash, and the uh, courtyards, they all belong to Yehuda. Binyamin. Binyamin had Ulam, Vechal, Ubed Kodesh Kodeshim. In other words, he had the western side, right? He had the, he had the, uh, the Hechal, the roofed part of the Beit HaMikdash, and all of that, and the Kodesh Kodeshim, that was in Binyamin's side. Okay, uh, however, the, what happened was, there was a little piece of land that extended from Yehuda's territory and entered into Benjamin's area. That was where the Mizbech was. So, so Yehuda got the Mizbech, right? And Benjamin was didn't like that. He wanted because it really it should have been on his side of the room, but it was it wasn't. Right? And it, and and Benjamin was yearning and and upset about that, and he wanted to swallow up that portion of Yehuda every day because it says He was he was like um, hovering over it all the time, meaning he really wanted to. He really wanted it. That's why because of that yearning. In other words, the idea is that because he so much wanted to be the host. He was like, it literally means it's like he was like scratching himself over it, Rashi says. It means like, chofef, like chofef it's like cleaning his hair. Meaning he was like scratching his head over it. He was so upset, right, out of pain, out of, dis- he was so distressed about it. That was why, because he loved the idea of being the, um, of being the sort of the host of the Shekhinah. Yeah, you no? do, but it was for holiness. He wanted the Kedusha. Yeah, why not? So that, that's, that's what it is. So he said, so he said, Therefore, that's why Hashem made him the host. Because it says Hashem is going to dwell between the shoulders of Binyamin. Meaning, so according to that, Yerushalayim is divided among the Shvatim. Half of it belongs to Yehuda, half of it belongs to Binyamin. It's shared, okay? But it still, it still belongs to discrete Shvatim. However, um, but there is an opinion. There's an opinion that it wasn't divided up. 
אין מזכירים בתים בירושלים, you're not allowed to rent out houses in Jerusalem, לפי שאינה שלהם, because it doesn't belong to you. How, how, how could you, it, it belongs to the Jewish people. You can't, can't rent it out. It's like selling the Brooklyn Bridge that they used to do, you know? Rebbe Lazar Bar Tzadok Omer, Av lo mitot, you can't even rent out beds. In other words, you, because the bed is sitting on the ground, the ground doesn't belong to you. לפי כך, אורות קודשים, Therefore, when they, would have, when they would host people, how did they get paid? So the people who would stay there, they would take the skins of the Kodashim, of the animals that they, uh, uh, of, the, uh, you know, of the Korbanot. So it says, so, so what they would do was, Balei Ushpezichnin Notlin Otan They would take it forcibly, meaning the innkeepers that would have these people, they weren't allowed to charge them for the rooms. So they would take the skins of their animals, even against the will of the guests, because they had no other way to be compensated for their, uh, for their, you know, for their service. Okay? And Amar Abay Abay says, Shema Mina Orach Mishbak Inish You see from this that it's a proper custom to leave, like a, a cup and some skin from your animal for the host. In other words, it's saying you leave a tip, basically. So they would basically take their tips by force because there was no way for them to enforce it, um, to enforce the, the payment because they blocked it. But that shows you that the Yerushalayim didn't belong to any Shevet or any person. It belongs to the nation, according to this. Now, is it true that the, uh, the village uh, uh, synagogues could have Nigaim, could have Tzarat, uh, uh, we learned Lachuza. It says that uh, it, 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 when it becomes uh, your portion, when it becomes your inheritance, right? That's talking about the, the opening parashav tzara'at, right? right? That means it has to be until, not until you've conquered it, right? And how do you know that not only do you first have to divide it up, uh, first you have to conquer it, then you have to divide it up among Shvatim, then you have to divide it among the tr- tribes to the family, then you have to divide it up, 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 up to the family, each individual. In other words, each individual has to know their place, then you can have Tarat. Talmud that shows you that it has to belong to a discrete individual. That doesn't mean that it has to, that it can't be a partnership, two people that own it. But it means that it has to be discrete individual or individuals that are identified as the owners of the property in order for there to be tarat. And therefore, you see, rather we have to go back to our original. Uh, answer that when the synag- when could a synagogue have tzarat? Only if it has a beit tzarat, only if it has an apartment in there that there's some owner. But if it's just owned by the community, even the community of villagers, let alone the community of the world, but even the community of villagers, that's too diffuse of an ownership. It's not concrete enough, specific enough of ownership to be able to have tzarat on the on synagogue. And of course, we know what would happen if you had tzarat on synagogue. Everyone would blame everybody else for it. And nobody would take... If, since the whole idea is for people to do teshuvah, if you just have a diffuse group and there's tzarat, what is it going to help you? Right, it only helps... Only helps if you have uh, if you you know who the target audience is for the tarot. Otherwise, it doesn't help. So you can see why. Words, I say 